The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. So this morning we're starting a new series, and the new series is about... Hallelujah. Good. Now, James is a book, a letter in the Bible in the New Testament, if you didn't know that. And I want to encourage you, if you've never read it after this, or even as you go home today, read it. Get into this book. Start to read it through so that you can start to familiarize yourself with what it says. So that as we begin to go through it over the next few weeks, you will find, ah, I remember that. Or I hadn't thought that. Or I'd seen that. Or, and let God speak to you through it because it's a, a great practical book. It starts off with this, James 1, verse 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. That's how it starts off. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant of God, you could say, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off in a way that we should identify ourselves. But the question is, do we? Do we? Would we actually say, hey, everybody, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of God. It's not really the sort of language we'd like to, to use because it feels like, whoa. It puts you in a place and you think, like, that's actually, that's who I am. But you see, James wasn't afraid of this. This is who I am. I am happy to be called a slave of Jesus Christ, a slave of God. I'm happy to have him as my master. I'm happy to obey his ruling over my life. You know, there's a phrase that says, he is not Lord at all if he is not Lord of all. And so there is a sense in which James has got that position. He realizes God is the Lord of my whole life. I'm willing to surrender to him. I'm willing to allow him to lead me, to guide me. Yes, through those good times. Yes, through those challenging times. He is the one who's going to lead me and guide me. That is the position that James had come to. And that is the position that we want to come to too. And there is a sense as we start this, Lord, will you help us as a people come under the authority of your word? Will you help us to understand your word? Will you help us to be guided through your word? Will you let this book, this letter, speak to our hearts so that we might engage with you. But today, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to do a simple introduction to this letter. So in other words, give us a little bit of background, give us a little bit more understanding about it. The first question we're going to ask is this, who wrote, who wrote, who wrote this letter? Now, I know that some of you want to put your hands up straight away with an answer of well, it could be a guy called James, and I do believe you might be on the right track. But, and there's always a but, isn't there, with things? The truth is this. There is a, even a challenge in that, because in actual fact, in Hebrew, and Hebrew translated into Greek, his name is, or in Greek, it's Jacobos, which means Jacob. And it's only because in English we translate that over to be James. So if you wanted to be technically correct, according to the Hebrew or the Greek, 
then actually this is the book of Jacob. And I don't know, Valeri, in your Bible, does it, is it called the book of Jacob or is it called the book of James in the Russian Bible? There you go, you see. And that's it. So if ever anybody said that, you are now equipped to know, okay, now I understand. This is because of the original understanding. Now, there is another complication. For the sake of the fact that we are English and translated into English, we call it James. From here on, I am using James, okay? But you know everything behind the scenes. Now, in the New Testament, there are a number of James who are mentioned, So that in itself causes us some complication, because if we understand that James wrote it, which James? Which James? So how many Jameses are there? Well, there's three James that are mentioned in the New Testament, and one of them is the brother of John. Let me just read to you from Matthew chapter 4. This is the scene. Jesus is walking along the shore of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they were fishing for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come to him too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat, and came behind them. So that is James, the brother of John. They were called the sons of thunder, if you remember, in the scriptures. They were two of the disciples, but it's not them. It's not that James that we're talking about. There's also another James, and he is called James, son of Alphaeus. Matthew 10, verses 2 and 4, it says this, Here are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, also called Peter, then Andrew, Peter's brother, then James, the one we've just spoken about, son of Zebedee, John, James's brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, Judah Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So that's what's called there. So we've had James, the brother of John, and this James, James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, this James, the son of Alphaeus, literally only gets mentioned four times in these lists. And so he's mentioned very little, or there's less known about him. Theologians call him James the Less, because little is known about him. He's probably a great guy, but we just don't hear much about him. So this poor guy, no, it's not him. It's not him. So who is the James that we're talking about? This letter, it is believed, was written by James, the brother of Jesus. And actually, if we're to be totally accurate, the half-brother of Jesus. Because if you think about it, Jesus' mum was Mary. Jesus' dad was God. But in this case, James, one of his elder brothers, or his elder brother, we're presuming, his mum was Mary and his dad was Joseph. So this is the brother of Jesus. Now, when Jesus preached in the synagogue, this is when he had his ministry, he preached in the synagogue of Nazareth. This is what some people said afterwards. They said they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here amongst us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Now that's the people talking about Jesus. But that's the first mention we get of Jesus' brothers and his sisters and the names of his brothers there. And the first one of those is called James. But it's interesting, if we look in the Bible, during Jesus' three years of ministry, then his brothers were not saved. They, They had interest in what he did, 
but they were not followers of his message. Now, I, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, okay, that's interesting. And let, let me just read this uh, scripture to you to underline that. This is just before Jesus was to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. If you know that when the, the Jews had several feasts where everybody went to Jerusalem. So they all went to where the temple was and they had these big festival days. It's a bit like us for Christmas. Christmas we think of as gathering all the family around somewhere. Not necessarily, but you know, there's a general feeling that they do. Same in the US when they have Thanksgiving. That's a day when they bring all the family together. So here, this is a bigger thing. This is when the whole of the Jewish nation would try to come down to Jerusalem to enjoy a big feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus' brothers are talking to him. John 7, it says, And Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5 of this says, For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Now, I find that interesting because, you know what? I don't always like at your home. You may be a Christian. Is everybody in your house professing to be a Christian? Is everybody in your house showing interest? Well, a lot of cases, it's like, well, no, they're not. But this was the same as Jesus. Jesus' family, they were Jewish. They, his brothers might well have gone to the synagogue. And they had their brother there. And they had the history of his brother. I mean, mum had certainly told some stories about Jesus they had lots of sort of stories about his cousin, John the Baptist, and stuff like this. And they'd heard about John the Baptist going on. There's a lot of talk in the family about all sorts of things. But they didn't believe in who Jesus was. I'm sure that Jesus was praying for them regularly, lifting them up. But I say that because in our own families, there's that time of, oh, when are we going to see breakthrough? We have to understand that everybody is on a journey. Everybody is on a journey. Sometimes that journey seems, are they ever going to get to the destination I'd like to see them get to? But our job is to continue to pray for those people and to keep believing that God is at work in their lives and he can do far abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine. In other words, what we think and what we hope for, God can do way above that. So here, this is Jesus' brother and at this stage, when Jesus was preaching in his ministry, doing his miracles around uh, Israel, then his brothers didn't believe in him at that point. We're also told that actually following the resurrection, there was a specific appearance of Jesus to his brother James. And Paul mentions that in 1 Corinthians. Paul, in the passage that we had recognized as I start to read it, I passed on to you what was most important, and what also had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures say. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at once, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by the other apostles. So there's something here that actually after he rose from the dead, Jesus went to show himself to his brother. Now what was all that about? We don't know. It's not recorded. But it was an interesting and it had an effect upon his brother. And then the brothers are actually mentioned as having been or are now with the believers after the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts 1, 
We read this. This is after Jesus himself had just uh, ascended back into heaven. So this is uh, after that situation. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of a house where they were staying. And here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, that would be John's brother, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So now we've seen a shift. There's been those brothers who've seen the life of Jesus. They've seen his miracles. They've encouraged him to go off. You go off and do your thing. You know, you need to show yourself to people. If you're going to be a big guy, you need to do this. But now they'd seen that Jesus had died. And they'd seen him rose again. And he had come back and spoken to James. It's made a massive difference. Listen, when you encounter Jesus, your life is transformed. That's the truth. And it is literally like you say, like, I've burnt my bridges. There was a time when I, I didn't know Jesus, but now I have encountered Jesus. I sometimes don't always know the way forward. But if I turn to look back, I can't go back there because Jesus has made all the difference in my life. There's something, some sort of experience that this James, Jesus' brother, had had. And now he was one of those who was gathering together after Jesus had returned to heaven. He was one of those in that prayer meeting. And we don't know whether as they gathered, they stayed there for the next 10 days until the day of Pentecost came, or whether it's like, guys, we're meeting for prayer tonight in the upper room, and okay, we'll meet again tomorrow night because we're going to keep on meeting together and praying because we're waiting now for the promise that Jesus said. He said... I'm going to move away, and it's good for you that I go away, because as I go away, I'm going to send another just like me. The Holy Spirit is going to come and to be with you. When? When? When's all this going to happen? So they're in this season now of when? When? We don't know when. I know what we need to do. We need to pray, and we need to be seeking God's face. And that is what they were doing, and James was one of those. After Paul was converted, so I'm now jumping slightly forward from this whole scene. After Paul was converted, he came back to Jerusalem to meet with Peter. And Peter actually introduced him to, to James, Jesus' brother. Galatians, we read of this. Galatians 1, verses 18 and 19. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. And I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James the Lord's brother. So all of this, all of these happenings, all of this working out is taking place in Jerusalem. And this is happening really straight after the resurrection of Jesus. And we know that on the day of Pentecost, or if you don't know, you can read this in Acts of the Apostles. On the day of Pentecost, there was a lot of kerfuffle. Tongues of fire had come upon the apostles. And they were now speaking in the languages of all these people who had gathered. I said that the Jews had these big festival days where everybody came to Jerusalem. Well, they literally came from all over the country and around. And so when they all came together, it's a bit like when you go to London, you walk down the high street and you hear people speak in all sorts of different languages because they've come from all around the place to see the capital city. And here it was like that. They'd all come into Jerusalem and they'd come for this festival. 
And in this festival time, the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and they find themselves in the temple courts and suddenly they are no longer speaking in their own language. They're no longer speaking in um, Arabic, in uh, Aramaic. Aramaic, thank you very much. It wasn't coming in my brain at that point. They're now speaking in the languages of the people who come from all these different areas. And people are like, wow, what is going on here? And Peter, one of the apostles, at that point, he takes this sort of lead situation and he stands up and he's the one who preaches and lets everybody know what's going on. That This is not a shock. These people are not drunk, as you may assume. But this is God having fulfilled what he spoke through the prophet Joel, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And that's what happened. And Peter at that time had taken the lead role, as it were, of the apostles. But as we move on in time and we see different things happening, we see that Peter himself, rather than only being based in Jerusalem, he went out to encourage and to lead other people and to take messages to other people and to encourage the Christians as they were growing in their faith. And as he was going out more and more, then we see that James, Jesus' brother, half-brother, however you want to describe it, he was the one who became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. This is the man who wrote this letter. And that's a little bit of his background. So when we're coming to this letter, what we're finding is, we're not just finding it's like, oh, here's a guy, oh, I got saved, and I want to share a few things with you. That's not where we're coming from. We're coming from somebody who lived with Jesus. We're coming with somebody who lived with Jesus but didn't understand what it was all about. We're coming to somebody who lived with Jesus and then came to a point, wow, this really is God amongst us. And we need to listen to him. It's interesting because in this book you'll find a lot of correlation between the things that James brings to our attention and the things that were taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Was he there when his brother spoke those words? This wasn't just a preacher. This is my brother. This is the guy I grew up with. This is the guy who was in our home. This is the guy who gave his life for the whole world. This is the one who was sent from God. This is the Messiah who was promised. And the words that he has spoken, which are life. I'm taking those words and I want to remind you about them. And so we see reflected in his letter a real understanding of that Sermon on the Mount and a real rejig, if you like. Hey, do you remember when Jesus said that? Let me just bring that back to your attention so that you may understand it again. And not just understand it, you may live by it. There's also in his letter a real understanding of Proverbs. And if you read the book of Proverbs, which was written by Solomon, and was obviously one of the Old Testament books that would have been read in the synagogue and would have been understood by James, he takes particularly from the first nine chapters of that uh, book, and he's using a lot of the wisdom that is found there, the understanding. He's receiving that wisdom, and he's also trying to bring that out. Okay, let me remind you about the things that Jesus said, but let me also remind you about the wisdom of God. And he's using those things and bringing them out to us. This guy had credentials, if you like. He'd grown up with Jesus. He'd experienced, he had experienced Jesus' death. As a family, you know, we're reading the story. We know the end from the beginning. Great, he didn't stay in the tomb. But you see, James, like the others, they felt the pain 
of the cross. They felt the pain and the loss of putting him in the tomb. They felt the pain of seeing the stone being sealed. And they lived at that point, which is painful. But then they knew the joy, the incredible joy of the word coming back. Hey, the stone has been rolled away. Hey, the grave is empty. Hey, this is in line with what he said. Hey, he's appearing to us. And now he had come to James. I haven't forgotten you, my brother. I've come to show you that I am the one. Wow. This is the guy who's writing this letter. This is the background of his life. This is where he's coming from in what he wants to bring to us so that we can understand this. This is the depth and the wealth of information. And he had been there in the pre-Pentecost prayer meetings. He had been there, I'm sure, and experienced the preaching on that day of Pentecost. He had been there to see these things happening. He'd seen the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that day. But not only that, he had seen, as it were, the birth of the church, and he had also been now living in the days of the early church. He'd known what life was like in the early church. You know, often you hear people say, oh, I wish we could go back to those days and experience what it was really like. This is he who is telling you about that. And not only that, it's believed to be one of the earliest, if not the earliest, of the New Testament letters that was written. Because it's right from the early days. He wrote it before he died. So this is him telling everybody, this, guys, is the way that you need to live. Now, there's an interesting thing about it, because when you read this book, there's a lot about it's short, sharp. Like, okay, think of this. Hey, have you noticed this? And there's lots of like one-line things just to grab your attention. And he's talking, and it's very practical. It's quite hard-hitting. Why is that? Well, it's because he was speaking to Jews, Messianic Jews, that is, Jews who had been going to the synagogue but now had seen that the Messiah, hence the phrase Messianic Jews, they had understood that Jesus the Messiah had come and that this was the one that they were following. He was writing to Jews. He wasn't writing to Gentiles. He's writing to Jews. And so the style of his writing is that of the Hebrew thinking. Now, it's interesting because at this time we've got, we're talking about uh, Jerusalem, and we just think of Jerusalem and the Jews. But even if you think of today and you, the things that have happened this week, is Jerusalem only with the Jews? No, there's all sorts of Arabs and people from different nations that have come together as well as the homeland of the Jews. And that's what it was like in those days. Don't forget, Jerusalem had been taken over by the Greeks. So you'd had the whole influence of Greek thinking and Greek culture had come in. And you'd now have been taken over by the Romans. You've got the whole influence of the Roman culture come in, as well as their own cultures. Don't we find that in our own day? Where we have our culture, as it were, the culture of the church. Hey, we go to church, we do this, we understand some of these things. But out there, that's not all understood. There's just the ways of being in the Western world. There's the ways of being in the UK, post-Brexit or whatever it may be. We are all t- there's things that we are aware of. It's part of our culture. And the culture of the Greeks was very much a different mindset. The Greek mindset was more concerned with how things look, if you like, rather than what we were supposed to do. Let me give you an example. If I was to say... This is Greek mindset. If I was to say to you, what's this? 
You would say to me, well, look, that's a plastic bottle. Plastic bottle? Does it have to be plastic? We won't go there. This is a plastic bottle, and it contains water, and it's got a white plastic lid. That's what it is. That is very Greek in its thinking. If you were to give this same thing to a Hebrew and have it from their mindset, they would say that's a container for holding water. Now, you understand they're quite similar, but they're also coming from a different place. The Greeks are more interested in the way things look, the way things feel. They're more interested in those things where the Hebrews are more interested in how can this help me in my life, particularly towards learning about God. There's a very practical edge to it. And so when you come to the book of James, the letter of James, what you're seeing is he's giving you, this is the things you need to do to help you to grow closer to God. It's practical. So sometimes some of it seems quite harsh. Some of it seems quite hard. But when you know about James and the wealth of his experience and where he's coming from, whoa, I need to listen to that. So there's a sense when we come here, and I'm going to finish here because we're not going to go on to uh, any more um, for this week. As we start to open this up, we should be going away on a Sunday morning, not just saying like, hey, how did that feel? That felt good to me? Was that a good word? No, no, no. That's the Greek mindset. What we want to be saying is, what can I take from this to put into my life to help me to grow closer to God? How can I practically take hold of this so that I might grow closer to God? That's the mindset that we want to come from. And there's a fight in us because our natural way is want to find facts and figures, gain understanding, gain learning. How does it feel to us? We want to find out how can we practically get hold of this. A practical thing that we can do first of all is that we go home and we read through this letter. It's only five chapters. It's not long, but you need to read it and to reread it so that God can speak to you through it because he wants to direct you and he wants to help you and he wants to encourage you so that you are growing up and that you can learn from this man, Jesus, his brother, who experienced the life of Jesus firsthand and wants to share with you from the benefit of his understanding what will really help you. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.